bass crashes in, you know it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, maybe you're doing chores, maybe you're sitting in traffic, whatever it is, we got your back. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Simple Contacts and RX Bar. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games, and there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis... The guy who just missed out on being one of Beyonce's backup dancers at Coachella, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. I like the fact that our intro of Dice Luck and Cardboard is soon going to be mostly referencing Labo. Hey, yeah, very, very, very true. Uh, one week countdown uh, to talk about that. It's only a few days that it'll be coming out uh, as you guys listen to this. Um, man, it's exciting. We get to talk about God of War this week a lot. Uh, much of the show will be focused on God of War, but we do have a lot of interesting news to talk about and some some other games, some surprise games uh, to talk about as well. And we have, honestly, one of my favorite guests to, to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm so excited because DLC stands for deciding between lots of content, because in order to do that, you have to know what's good and from What's Good Games, as well as from Kind of Funny, our old friend, Andrea Renee, is back with us. Hello, Andrea. What's up, guys? Or should I say, what's good? Hey, congratulations on, I mean, I think we've had you on since uh, What's Good started. But man, you guys are just taking over the world. I'm so pleased and excited for you to see the success and the growth of What's Good Games. So kudos and congratulations. It's just really awesome to see. Thank you so much. I And I've loved that you've had some of my amazing co-hosts on. All show. of them. We've checked off every single one has been a guest on the show. I'm so proud to say. That is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Great group that you have uh, assembled there. And uh, I'm a fan of the content and really, really glad to, that all of you guys have been gracious enough to be uh, guests on our show as well. And I'm especially, especially, I'm especially excited to uh, to have you on this week. Because we've all been playing God of War in advance of its release. And it, man, it's going to be a fun episode to talk about it. But let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And uh, we got some cool stories, some surprising stories, some interesting stories. Andrea, you are our guest, so you get first pick. What would you consider to be your story of the week? I don't know if this counts as a story, but those God of War review scores, oh my God, <laughs> off the charts. Yeah. Uh, but if we're going to go off what's on the rundown here, um, I definitely have to say... Of the stuff that we have uh, have picked out here, I think the story about Radical Heights is pretty interesting. It might not be like the most earth-shattering news that Boss Key launched a new game, 
But I think it was super serendipitous that they had this opening when Fortnite servers were down and <laughs> it happened to be available for free on Steam. And they were like, hey, uh, come play this game instead. And a bunch of streamers, including Ninja, you know, the world's biggest Twitch streamer. Oh, Drake's, Drake's best friend? That's right. Okay, yeah. um, he decided instead of playing PUBG that he was going to play uh, Radical Heights. And so they had over 200,000 concurrent people playing or watching, I believe, watching Radical Heights when Fortnite was down. So, I mean, congrats to, you know, Cliffy B and his entire team over at Bosky for having that amazing opening. Because yeah. this game wouldn't have found success otherwise. But I think, you know, Fortnite's just steamrolling everybody right now. And it yeah. was very uh, fortuitous. Yeah, it's an interesting story. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, Radical Heights in our uh, our playlist section, because at least Christian uh, Christian has played it. I don't know if you've played it, Andrea, but we'll talk about the game itself uh, in, later in the show. But I think a really interesting thing about the way the game was released and how it was presented, I mean, it was... It was announced and released all at the same time on the same moment, <laughs> basically. Uh, like and 24 hours apart from announcing and releasing. Like, it, this here's this game we're making, and you can download it for free starting tomorrow. And it was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's pretty pretty amazing. And that's not even, the I think, the most strange part. The, the, the strangest part is how early this game is is being put out to the public. Now it's free to play. So they're not charging anybody for it, but this I think takes early access to a place where we really haven't seen early access go quite yet. I mean, this game is super early. This is, there are placeholder assets in in the game. There are uh, things that don't have any textures on them. Uh, it, It is very much, they call it extreme early access, right? And I wonder, Andrea, what you think about that strategy of, letting people play a game that is not only not done, but is barely maybe not even in an alpha state at this point. I think that we're seeing lots of games do this in recent times. I mean, even PUBG when it first came out was super rougher on the edges. I remember playing Paragon, you know, my favorite MOBA, which is sadly going away in a week, only one week left. Yeah. Um, is that, um, you know, that game also had gray boxes that had things that were missing textures, it had characters that were just, you know, like almost like those like um, crash test dummies, like just like mannequin molds hmm. uh, that weren't like built out at all. And that didn't stop me enjoying the game. I think as long as they are transparent about what you're getting and the fact that it's obviously very early access, I think the fact that it's free helps as well that I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a great way to play test some things and to kind of, work out some kinks and have a dialogue with the people who are hopefully going to be fans of your game, people that are used to playing early access and that can provide you some valuable feedback. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that it's Cliff Blazinski's boss key productions. These are the guys that did Lawbreakers most recently, which uh, was a game that recently was canceled. They announced their ceasing development on it. Um, and that had a lot of, uh, a lot of, excitement around it people thought cliff coming to the arena shooter hero shooter style game was going to be uh, a successful sort of no-brainer and that game did not perform as well as they had hoped now this is him and his studio going to another very popular genre um kind of in the zeitgeist a battle royale game this time the the hook of uh, radical heights 
is that it's set in this sort of future retro 80s world, very uh, Ready Player One style. It's in the future, but everything is 80s-esque. Um, and there's that fun aesthetic of, of sort of a throwback a nostalgia thing. Do you think, Andrea, that's enough to set it apart in a very crowded, uh, very popular genre? And do you think that people are going to give it enough uh, of a long leash to let it grow into what it will eventually be over time? It's hard to say. I think my gut reaction is no, it's not going to be enough because when you have a competitor like Fortnite on the horizon that is a fully fleshed out free-to-play game with a very robust economy built inside, lots of fantastic you know, cosmetic upgrades that you can buy now. And like the polish on Fortnite is really incredible because, I mean, they've been making that game for seven years, right? So it's hard to compete with that. But I think that this is Bosky saying, hey, we're not done just because our first game out the gate wasn't where we wanted it to be doesn't mean that we don't have more to contribute and more to give. And this is a way for them to kind of throw themselves a lifeline to say, hey, we want to keep making games. And the only way we can do that is by doing something small and slow and hopefully, you know, building a community that will financially support it over time. Christian, I know you will be talking about this game, having played it uh, later in the show, but what do you take, what's your take on the strategy with which it was rolled out? It's an interesting question. I also want to say up top, uh, Zach Lowry has been on this show and I've known him just through the internet, like Twitter friends with him for, for years. And he's always seemed like a good dude. I've loved his, I've loved his work. So, um, full disclosure there. And he is the creative director on, on Radical Heights. Uh, and I don't know any inside information, um, about the game in any way, shape or form, but I think the interesting question is, you know, kind of twofold. How early is too early? And the old ad- adage of you only have you know, one chance to make a first impression combined with to what extent did it need to come out now? I don't know their financials or maybe their financials were fine, but they would need to do another round of investor funding and they wanted to be fully independent, like they're self-publishing this game. So I don't know the financial realities that went into the, like them saying, we need to get this game out now. And as long as it generates X you know, dollars per month, then the lights will stay on and we'll keep iterating versus if we wait three more months and polish it more, then we're going to need to get funding from so-and-so to do this thing. Like there's a whole business reality to it that I have no clue what was happening there. But in terms of the game not being done, the mechanics are all there. Well, I'm sure those will continue to evolve too, though, even the way Fortnite has changed things. But the core mechanics are, are there. And I think what they're trying to do in this space is laid out pretty clearly. And I can talk about it more when I talk about having played it. But um, I think, unfortunately, the placeholder, the so obviously placeholder, placeholder graphics have kind of dominated the story versus talking about how the game, the gameplay fits in between PUBG or Fortnite or the hunt and like kind of what this game is doing in the battle royale space. Instead, the conversation has been eighties overplayed eighties. I love it. Placeholder graphics, lol. Well, it's early access. Give them a break. And instead of people talking about the gameplay loop and whether or not that is fun. Um, so I hope people give it a shot because it is free to play and, you know, make your own decision instead of jumping on like the internet bandwagon one way or another, but it is, it, it's fascinating. And I don't know if we'll ever get a retrospective of all these games where it's like, they're all being built on the Unreal Engine. And then to see the discrepancy in terms of graphics, polish, iteration between Epic, <laughs> who owns their engine, right? And then seeing PUBG's development. And now I'm curious to see um, Radical Heights development because if anyone knows Epic in the Unreal Engine, it should be Cliff, right? Like he built 
Fortnite back in the day. Like he was on, I think he was on stage when Fortnite was announced in 2011. Um, so there's a whole bunch of business curiosities in, <laughs> in regard to these three games that I don't know if we'll ever know until, you know, we're all old and someone's able to write the book. Yeah. And of course, Epic has the luxury of being able to sit on something for six years and not and put it out and still put resources into it and, and figure out what it's going to be over that period. Whereas you look at something like what Boss Key is doing with Radical Heights, they're self-publishing, right? They're, they're a, in comparison, a very small scale operation. When you compare Boss Key to Epic, it's, it's no comparison at all with regard to resources. So, I truly think that this is we're witnessing the the new standard of what video games are are going how they're going to be made. You'll get you'll still get you know big companies making big games that come out in boxes, but more and more and more, I don't really think there's going to be a distinction between early access and not early access. I think it's just all going to be these ongoing projects that a game is put out to the public at a certain point. Where that needle lands, what that point is along the timeline of that game will be in flux, right? Some games it'll be earlier, some games it'll be later, but it'll always be, I think, more and more, it'll always be this progression of what the game is, what kind of content it has, even the mechanisms inside it. Everything is is now an evolution rather than building up to a release date. I just think it's pretty clear that that's the way the industry works now. And for better or for worse, I think the for worse is like what I see in the, the chat room. Um, I think it was, uh, where is it here? Uh, Cursor said, I want to experience a game when it is released, not half baked. Um, I get that. I think that's the, that's the downside of this is, yeah, you want, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. You want your first impression to be of this finished product. But the upside is that there are way more games that will be able to be made because they'll be the, the actual process of making them will be funded. And also the conversation of what the game is will be a two way street. It won't just be a bunch of people in a room going, what game do we want to make? Let's make it. Okay. We made it. Oh, people don't like it. It's, you know, we put out Fortnite and it was this wave shooter and people are like, oh, okay. And then they went, well, what if it's this? And people went, yeah, battle royale game. I'm into it. That, that level of adaptability and evolution, I think is very exciting. Yeah. I, I, I am curious if, to what extent the market becomes oversaturated with this style of game and when people are willing to give it a chance and, and when they aren't kind of like Kickstarter, you, the, you know, that was the conversation, I don't know, was it five, six years ago now where it's like so many games are being made this way. This is how developers are going to get their funding. And then we've seen, and some have come out and been excellent. And then others from big named, um, big named, well-known developers um, and industry uh, individuals that have come out to lackluster reception or not come out at all. And I think we've seen a pull back in that style of development. And I wonder where, you know, at some point it's too early. Right. <laughs> and I think we'll, we'll find that point um, along this path, but hopefully, you know, hopefully more good games get made. Right. And that's all you want is to keep seeing creative ideas coming into the market. And if coming out in early access is what makes that possible, then more power to it. But if it's exploitive, then, you know, you got to do better. Yeah. All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? Uh, <laughs> I kind of, oh man, no. Well, yeah, let's do it. Because of early access and um, 
Shenmue 3, which we were all asked to to pay for <laughs> on Sony's stage. Was that four years ago already? Three years ago? Is it that long? I thought it was like 2016. Yeah, I thought it was 2015. Let me double check. Yeah. A, it was a while ago already, a couple of years ago. Well, this year, Sega's fan conference, which name escapes me already, they announced that. It was 2015. 2015? Correct. Almost three years ago. Yeah. Uh, what's trucking along? Uh, but what we are getting... Shemu 1 and 2 are being released for PC and Xbox One and PlayStation 4. And, um, sometime in 2018, which is this year, guys, we're going to get it. We're going to get it this year. And it's going to be the definitive version of both games, uh, scalable screen resolution, which I don't know if makes the, game, the games better or worse if you want to see that, uh, approaching 4K or not. And what else did they say? Updated controls, which I think will be interesting. And then it will also include the Japanese voiceovers. I guess it includes both English and Japanese voiceover tracks. Um, and if you haven't experienced it, uh, played it with the Japanese and imported Shemu back, back in the day. It's, uh, it's really well done and it's, it's fun to play in that, in that version, even though the English voiceover has certainly created its share of, uh, of memes over the years. But I don't know if I'll replay either of these games, but I'm happy that they're coming out. Does that make sense, Andrea? Like, I love them so much. I want other people to play them, but I also think if I play them, I'll hate them now. (laughs) I definitely know how that feels. Um, I was actually just watching the trailer because I've never played any of the Shenmue games. And I I just loved how, you know, Michael Huber over at Easy Allies at the time was still like game trailers. Got so excited because like you, Jeff, I just love it when people love things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was I could not share in the enthusiasm because I was like I don't even know what Shenmue is, and um, I just the thing that I am having trouble with is that there's so many of these older games that are being remade for n- new systems. And on one hand, part of me is like this is great because it gives people who missed them like me the opportunity to go back and play them, or potentially a new generation who w- wasn't a- able to play games cannot go back. But on the same hand, or on the other hand, I'm like. I don't know. A lot of these games have not aged well. Like, um, I finally got Alexa Ray to convince me to play Final Fantasy IX on PlayStation Four, and I've been playing through that. And I'm like, why did, why did you guys like this game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you can send all fan mail to Andrea's Wrong at Gmail dot com. It's it's totally fine. I've already gotten the, the hate about it. Uh, I've talked about it at length on What's Good Games uh, with Alexa and with Brittany, uh, who is also a giant Final Fantasy nerd. Um, and so, like, I, I've, expl- I've explained my experiences in depth as to why I feel the way I do. So don't please don't take it as me just, like, blanketing, like, all retro games are terrible. That's clearly not what I'm saying here. Um, I, my, pl- my point is, is that some of these older games that are a decade or more older just don't stand up the way that we remember them because at the time they were revolutionary because of what they were back then. But now we're just in such a different place in the world of innovation with video games. And so our expectations are so wildly in a different place than they were back then that sometimes you, you look at it and go, Oh, maybe this wasn't as good as I thought it was. Well, ever since 2015, when they stood on stage and people went bananas because they said, we're doing a Kickstarter for kick for Shenmue three. I've been like, um, sorry, I just want to raise my hand real quick and say Shenmue 1 and 2, I played those games all the way through. I played them with my girlfriend at the time. We were obsessed with those games. They're not that good. They're not that good. I'm sorry. I know it's it's blasphemy to say it now, but it is exactly what you're saying, Andrea. They were 
absolutely amazing at the time because nobody was trying to do that. But that everybody was influenced by that game, those games, and the the sort of half step in that direction that Shemu represents was fully fully taken. The, the the step was fully fulfilled and realized, and we got to what the technology was not able to do at the time, and the sort of ambition outstripped the. Uh, the achievement of that game. And later on games were able to do what Shenmue wanted to do. And uh, unfortunately I think these games are really clumsy. And I think a lot of people that are going to jump into these remakes are going to be like, Oh, this is it. This is what everybody was so excited about. I don't think that's the case with shadow of the Colossus remake. Right. I, I think that is a very unique kind of game that, that is transcends its, its time period. Well, there's also a giant difference between a remake and a remaster, right? So we also have you know, John Caffey in the chat here is saying some nostalgia is great. Sonic Mania was great. That is not a remake nor a remaster. That is That was like a, a hybrid of a new game mixed with a, a remake. Right. You know, like some levels were remade, but then they added new content on the end. And like the, I finally got a definitive edition or a definitive definition about the difference between a remake and a remaster from one of my production friends who works in a game studio. And, um, and he said, a remake is using the same art assets and just, or excuse me, is, is, master. Creating, yeah. is creating entirely new art assets. That's a remake. So like Shadow of the Colossus. Right. And then a remaster is taking the old original art assets and then just kind of like polishing them so they look a little bit nicer on a new system, which is what Shenmue is. And so I think that, you know, those really kind of are apples and oranges. Yeah. And, and I'm, listen, I'm happy if anybody goes back and plays these remasters and digs them. I, I love it. Great. Go for it. I, like I said, I loved those games at the time. I just, I feel like I have the, the clarity of hindsight to say, boy, they're not that great now. And, uh, and I hope I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of people who didn't experience them at the time and, and kind of got swept up in the hype, uh, may be disappointed with what they actually end up experiencing with these games. But I don't want to be a you know a dark cloud over it. It's cool that they're doing it. One thing it does make me realize, the fact that here we are in 2018 and these are just happening after an announcement in 2015 for the, <laughs> the third iteration, is the amount of excitement took everybody by surprise. <laughs> because if they had had their stuff together at that time, uh, this would have happened way earlier and it would have been, a, it would have been all a coordinated thing to help push the Kickstarter. I feel like it was, uh, you know, this idea of them getting on stage and going, well, if people are into it, let's just mention it on stage that there's a Kickstarter. We're not even going to say we're publishing it. We're just going to say it's a Kickstarter. And if you're into it, yeah, it'll happen. And then it was this massive reception and they went, Oh, people are actually excited about this. We should probably work on a remaster and then it took three years, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think the way to play these, if anyone hasn't experienced them and wants to, uh, you know, I don't know anything about these versions per se, other than what the, they, they've announced, but hopefully it is the definitive version. But I think the most interesting way to play it is play it with an eye to, you know, the time in which they were made and to what they, they came from them. The fact that this was kind of the first game to do um, QTE, uh, events as narrative points in the game where you're acting out these 
these conclusions to fights based on quick time events and how we've seen so many games take from that and how those have evolved over years, the way that they would gate you within a world trying not to use invisible walls, but basing, you know, on the limitations of the console at the time and taking character art or assets that, you know, before we had only seen in Virtua Fighter games and that blew people away with the graphics. And now you had this character, you could move around freely in the world and interact and think about how that's expanded. And I think playing it as a historical landmark more than as a game you're trying to experience today. I think it's a super interesting case study for where this, where Grand Theft Auto five came from, you know, or or God of war or any of these modern games that kind of blow out systems and look at where Shemu, where it all started. And then it's fascinating. It's like watching a, your, you know, your great grandpa giving you a flip book and then you go sit down and watch Coco. (laughs) No, you're so right. I mean, it is, it is a direct antecedent to, Grand Theft Auto. And that sounds like an odd thing to say, but nobody had tried to make a coherent virtual world that behaved like the real world until Shenmue. It, it, it really was groundbreaking in so many ways, uh, you know, trying to create an actual big three-dimensional virtual world that you could walk around in. It's like, you look at GTA now, it's like, it's it is it really is a uh you know sticks and stones compared to a you know a fighter jet but it's uh but you're right i think that's a perfect way to look at it is like this was this is our history this is our our hobby's history um so some interesting other stories for my story of the week at the risk of uh, uh, being a little self-serving, I did want to address, as part of my story of the week, uh, myself being in the news, um, because a lot of people... Wait. What's that? Self-promotion is always okay, Jeff. Well, it's not really promotion. Um, I became a meme this week, uh, much to my chagrin, uh, very unintentionally, um, because uh, at midnight on the day that the God of War... Uh, reviews went live. I tweeted out a threaded review, a, a sort of brief, uh, um, very excited review Jeff, of, of God Jeff, of War. Come to bed. Come to bed, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> and literally, uh, uh, as I, I tweeted that out, I was all excited. And then I, I'm not exaggerating. I was laying in bed and I was like, oh, I have one other thing I wanted to say. It was like 1 a.m. And I rolled over. I'm not exaggerating. And I tweeted uh, a comparison to a bunch of other video games, including Zelda and Dark Souls and, and uh, lots of other games, Uncharted and The Last of Us. And I went to sleep <laughs> thinking that was fun. Uh, excited. <laughs> yeah, basically. And uh, when I woke up the next morning, uh, I had become a meme. Uh, people were uh, – I had I – had, Thousands of replies. Uh, the the tweet had exploded and been picked up by a bunch of people on Reddit and on 4chan and a lot of other places. And uh, a lot of the re- at replies I was getting were like, "So is this where the meme started? This guy?" <laughs> and I was like, "What the hell is going on?" Uh, and uh, over the next two or three days, uh, it, my life got real weird, guys. Real weird. And it became clear to me that very few people that don't know who I am understood at all what I was trying to say with the tweet. Uh, people thought I was attacking other video games and uh, saying all kinds of things. And it was a strange experience. Um, <laughs> I 
probably unwisely decided to read all of the responses uh, as they came in. And there was thousands and thousands of them. I think the tweet, the tweet at this point has like 9,000 likes and over 2000 retweets. And it- I had to go chase this down just now. It has 2,262 retweets and 9,112 likes. Yeah. So just so we're not hiding it, because not in the grand scheme of things, hardly anyone's on Twitter. Andrea, will you read the tweet, please? Yes. So it says, what if Zelda had an amazing cinematic story? What if Last of Us had incredible skill-based combat? What if Uncharted somehow put all of the violence in context? What if Dark Souls was approachable and clear? The answers to all of these questions and more is God of War. And goddamn, that's a great tweet, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you, Andrea. As people who have played it and yeah. other people are angry because they don't have it. And it's not our fault. So when you made the embargo so stupid early. Well... Maybe I'd like to just write it off as being sort of jealousy of, of being able to play the game early, but, but based on the thousands and thousands of responses that I got, I've gotten, uh, many of which are just insults. Um, many of them are, uh, and those are easy to kind of roll off your back when it's just, uh, just cursing at you and telling you, you know, one, you've never clearly never played a video game before, or have you ever even played Zelda or all these things? Your tweet like, killed my grandma. Yeah, no people. People. I mean, the the so many people wrote. This is the worst tweet I've ever read. Uh, this we have a new winner for the world's worst use of the internet. All of these like just uh, unbelievable things. But um, and and th- that was none of that. I didn't respond to any of that stuff. That was all easy to ignore because I also got. I had. I should say lots and lots of people that. We're like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Uh, I'm so excited about this game. Thank you. I, I got a lot of people who understood what I was coming from. And it became very clear to me that anybody that actually listens to this show or has any awareness of who I am in the game space were not confused by what I meant by those by that tweet. Um, yeah, why do viewers hate you? I'm like looking through all the responses right now. Yeah, it's insane, right? Like, it's like all of these young streamers are like, you're yeah. old and you don't get it. And I'm like, right. wait a minute. Hold the phone. Yeah, yeah. I wish I wish I would have seen this happen in real time. I didn't see it until you were you were interacting with somebody like the day or two afterwards, and I was like so far beyond when it had originally tweeted. Because that's my problem is I'll get up and Twitter will be like these are the tweets you missed, and I'm replying to tweets from like 15 hours ago, and I'm like whoops. <laughs> yeah, it's for the best. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't have been going through it in real time either. It started out as it started out for me as this like weird cyclone to be at the center of that I was sort of mystified and bemused by and just like, wow, this is crazy. And then little by little, it got really dark and darker and darker and darker. And then I started, it it started becoming uh, the way for other professionals in the space to insult me, uh, which is the point at which I turned to being angry. And at what point, um, a guy who has since apologized and we've made up and is, is very cool, but a guy who is a social media uh, guy for the Washington Post uh, used my tweet, retweeted my tweet and said, uh, th- uh, the problem with game critics is that they don't know how to communicate and are bad writers. Here's an example or here's a great example. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. And, oh then, and then I, that was when I that's when I kind of went a little ballistic and went off on him. Like I said, he has since apologized. Adam Sessler stepped in and was like, I can vouch for Jeff and his, and, you know, and we like all these things. And I, it was, I was like, hey, do you even know who I am or my work or, and have you ever read any, I mean, not, do you know who I am, but you know what I mean? Do you have, <laughs> I mean, any, do you have, 
Sonata, two N's and one T. I don't mean it like that, but do you? I mean, you he's plucking this tweet out and saying it. It, it is an example of me being a whatever. It just felt like you, you. Did you even look at the rest of my Twitter timeline or any uh, Google my name and look up anything that I've ever written or said? Or, you can see that Jeff tweeted the same tweet for every game he's currently playing. It just said. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I don't need this to I – mean, it feels very self-serving talking about it. But there's a big thread in our subreddit with people saying very nice things of support. And I've gotten lots of emails and support. The weirdest part was at a certain po- point, I was started getting text messages from friends saying, hey, man, I'm so sorry you're going through this. And I was like, oh, I guess people just really think it's awful. Uh, and then um, this – I made the mistake of responding to uh, a f- very young female streamer who like – asked her audience like point me at the guy who doesn't like zelda and who is that guy point me at him and then they pointed her at me i would have been like me i don't i don't like zelda i mean i'm still do shrines every once in a while for kicks but (laughs) well then she and she goes uh who are you and why why are you so wrong uh to which i replied grow up and then then the entire internet exploded on me uh and then i said uh you know, I said some unsolicited advice if you're trying because she's just this, you know, she's starting out. She's this little kid and a streamer. And I don't mean to be condescending when I say it, but I said some unsolicited advice. If you want to succeed in this business, the it's how you treat people. Be nice. Be nice to people. And I, I suggest you learn that lesson soon. To which everyone decided I am a misogynist monster who was threatening a little girl. Uh, and it became a complete nightmare. And I, I, I agree that I probably shouldn't have ever said anything, but I was tr- truly coming out of a place of trying to give some advice of just be nice to people. You don't know who, if you don't know who I am, then why are you attacking me? You know, like Can I give you some advice, Jeff, yeah, if you just ignore if it, you want to make it in this business, it. you got to start beef with people. You find the number one person that does what you do and you start beef with them. That's that's what I've learned. And I'm challenging that's you. What I'm I've challenging learned. you to a boxing match, and we're going to do it in Los Angeles, and we're going to set it up, and we're going to live stream it because Jeff Kanata is an idiot, and I'm going to. That's fight. what I've learned is is that uh, everything is a fight, and you can't. And I tried to be um, nice, and every I realized, oh, everything is a fight. Everything is a fight. And it's just tough on Twitter because your tone and your intonation are impossible to read because you're yeah. using text and you're using a short text format at that, you know, and, and people like to take stuff out of context. I mean, <laughs> people have been taking everything I say out of context since our We Can Confirm days when right. Garnet pulled me aside and gave me some much needed tough love about like, hey, you know, you should think about what you say before you say it. I was like, who did that? That's not entertaining. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that you had such a, a tough time with this because like I thought what you said was pretty positive. I mean, it's, it's it's clearly worse, though, than the hate mail I got over one of the other stories we're going to talk about later. <laughs> well, let's talk. I mean, we, I, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I didn't want to not address it because so many people have sent me lovely emails and uh uh, posted on the forums and stuff. And I feel like some people probably would have tuned in to feel, to understand what the heck was even going on. Um, lots of people on Twitter showed support. Lots of people were like, I don't even kind of say what you said, which is, I don't even understand how anybody would misunderstand this. Obviously I wasn't taking a crap on all those games. I was actually saying how amazing those games are, but, but this game is using some elements of that and doing something different with it. 
but I guess, uh, I guess it's on me to, that I miscommunicated. Anyway, uh, it has made me completely rethink how I'm going to handle, uh, social media in my life, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, and, uh, maybe that was what I needed. Uh, Christian has already pulled way back on that stuff and has advised me to do so many, many times. And I've always sort of held out this idealistic feeling that I like, uh, a lot of the interactions that I have, but I, I kind of feel like it's not healthy. And no, um, if you can't pull back because then if you pull back, who will I get my Twitter from? Right. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm your, I'm your dealer. Your dealer. Anyway, uh, I don't know. I maybe I may cut all this out of the episode. It may not even be worth talking about, but uh, I just felt like I had to bring it up. You know, it's funny. I will tell you this guys, real talk here. Uh, this is what episode 228 of DLC oh. is our 228th time we've done this. We did what 200 episodes of weekend confirmed before this. This is the first episode ever of either of those shows that I kind of didn't want to do. What? First time I've ever been like, I just don't feel like talking about video games. <laughs> And, and I, I love it. I love, I look forward to, to doing this stuff. It's like the best. And this is the first time where I've been like, I just, I, I kind of don't even want so to. This is why, <laughs> this is why you need to do this because our audience is rad. And so you I, agree. This show, I agree. And then if you don't want to do something, scale back on social media, even though I'm sure people, there'll be an outpouring of support saying, no, 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 do it. I need you. You're the light, you know, <laughs> light at the end of the tunnel for me on there. But, uh, and a lot of, a lot of people have, I, I, I do want to discount, Many, many, many tweets I got of people saying, "Hey, I've supported you for a long time. I think you're great. Uh, I, you know, your positivity is appreciated, and I didn't take the tweet wrong." I'll, so I don't want to discount all of that. Um, it just, it, it just, uh, it just, it, with everything else going on in the world, it feels like, man, it's a dark, darkest timeline. Anyway, anyway. Let's talk more about uh, video games. We've gone w way too long in this segment. We want to talk lots about God of War and other things, and I don't want to just crawl up my own butt here on, and throw a pity party. Um, let's talk about Billy Mitchell. Let's uh, talk about a real villain in video <laughs> games. <laughs> um, this is an interesting story. Billy Mitchell, if you probably if – you, if you know him, you probably know him because he was in uh, The King of Kong, which is the – a uh, really wonderful documentary from, gosh, long time ago, many years ago at this point, uh, about the record in Donkey Kong, the old stand-up arcade Donkey Kong game. And Billy Mitchell from the 80s was like this this uh, wonderkind who, who had a bunch of records, including in Donkey Kong. And King of Kong is all about that record being challenged by a young upstart. And um, so he became sort of a celebrity in the 80s and was renewed as a celebrity in the video game space through that documentary and reclaimed a, uh, a record in Donkey Kong with this million plus score uh, a few years ago. And uh, this, I guess, was 2010 that he got uh, over a million points in Donkey Kong and it became the new record. And now... Uh, all of his records are being vacated. Twin Galaxies, which is the famous arcade organization that maintains these records, has decided to reject all of his records based on the fact that there is some evidence that he used an emulator instead of a actual arcade cabinet to do this. And 
I think the details of how this was discovered and what it means are really fascinating. Basically, Twin Galaxies rules state that you have to play the games on the stand-up arcade games, on the regular boards that they were constructed back in the 80s with. And the reason for that is that you can fake a lot of stuff using emulators. Obviously, you can mess with things. And most of the time when people are going for these records, they have a Twin Galaxies representative there to inspect the cabinet for anything, any wrongdoing and watch the attempt made. But with Billy Mitchell's record-breaking one, that didn't happen. He just sent in a video, which they also allow. But this guy, uh, Jeremy Young, uh, who is a forum poster uh, and a big fan of these kinds of records, did a bunch of analysis, like frame-by-frame analysis of the video that Billy Mitchell submitted and found that like the the way the some of the girders in Donkey Kong are rendered is slightly different in an emulator than it is in the old arcade cabinets. And he was able to prove that these are emulator screenshots and not the old arcade cabinet. And so they vacated all of these, uh, all of these records. But Andrew, you said, first of all, what do you think about this? And secondly, you said that Billy Mitchell actually has a response to this. So tell me about this drama. Drama indeed. So I've talked about this both on Kind of Funny Games Daily and on What's Good. And in both places, for people who have listened to both shows already, um, I've kind of expressed my non-interest in this overall kind of saying, I don't understand why it's important. But in the days since the initial news was announced, I've had several people reach out to me, some in not so friendly ways, being like, you're stupid and you don't understand games, GTFO, and others in ways being like, this is why it's important to me and why I think that, why I think that you should care about it. Um, and so it's been interesting hearing from all different kinds of people as to like the, the, the drama, uh, around this whole situation. Um, so Billy Mitchell had just recently, it was today, I believe. Um, yes, have put out a statement. He was at the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee. Um, and Old School Gamer Magazine worked with him to put up this video because he's a member of that publications advisory board. There's a full write-up over on Polygon.com for anybody who is interested in going to check out the full write-up. But essentially, the video was like a one-minute-long video. And he says, the fact of the matter is now there's a true professional due diligence being done to investigate things that happened as far as 35 years ago in a professional manner, not in a shock jock mentality designed to create hits. We will show that everything that has been done, everything was done professionally, according to the rules, according to the scoreboard at the integrity that was set up, not 2014 forward by the current regime who wants to reach back 35 years. I'm not quite sure what that means. <laughs> everything will be transparent. Everything will be available. I wish that I had it in my hands right now. I wish I could hand it to you, but it's taken a considerable amount of time. Witnesses, documents, everything. Everything will be made available to you. Nothing will be withheld. My understanding is that Mueller is investigating this now. Is that <laughs> is that accurate? <laughs> I hope this, this is, is just uh, national security. <laughs> yeah. I hope it's just hype and what he hands over as like proving his point next week is King of Kong 2, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because Donkey Kong is really the only game that people care this much about. Right. I mean, people care about speed runs in Super Mario Brothers, you know, and stuff like that. And those records are really highly held. But as far as a number score, Donkey Kong is really it. It's the it's the brass ring. And if it was any other game, I don't think people would care. But the combination of it being Donkey Kong and our familiarity with these characters from that movie, I think, makes it a, a bigger deal than it would be otherwise. But 
it's pretty wild to think that somebody would falsify something as trivial as having the high score in a video game, but here we are. <laughs> My point, Jeff, and why I kind of made a, a, a deal about it, both on Games Daily and what's good about being like, I don't understand why this is this gigantic deal, this this humongous like, um, you know, kind of fiasco. We're talking about a Donkey Kong score. And not only that, but like, even if he was playing on an emulator, like right now, it's still like alleged, right? Have they actually busted open his cabinet yet and like looked no. at it though? Um, but the idea that people are, are so upset about this, I'm like, well, listen, even if it was an emulator, he clearly is a fantastic player, if nothing else, because you can't fake his skills, right? You can't fake right. the game that he did. And Barry Bonds was an incredible hitter who yeah. used steroids to hit the ball farther. Allegedly. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think, think you're right. I think that's apples to oranges. But I mean, I, 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 I don't know enough about the minute differences between motherboards to speak authentically about it. So you can take whatever I say and throw it out the well, You know what? You know what? Where it, I think an even better analogy, Christian, I'm on your side on this one, Christian. I think that it, it is not, not apples and oranges, but I think a better analogy is Lance Armstrong, right? Because Lance Armstrong, by the way, if you read the insane things that they did to their bodies in order to win the Tour de France, Lance Armstrong took something that didn't matter to anyone in the United States and made it made himself very wealthy and very famous because he cheated to win it. That I think, and it's, it's a level of scale, right? This Billy Mitchell is not on the scale of Lance Armstrong. You know, he's not doing Oprah because he's Billy Mitchell, but in his little microcosm, in his little universe, he really was the biggest thing going. He, he was the biggest name. And if somebody beat his high score, he had to reclaim that top spot in order to be Billy Mitchell. And he had whatever, whatever fame and fortune he had was derived from that sense of worth. And I think if, if you start from that supposition, then you understand what somebody might do in order to reclaim the top spot in that kind of thing. And, you know, the next guy down, I don't remember his name, but I remember Billy Mitchell, just like I remember Lance Armstrong. And I don't remember who came in second at the Tour de France. How about Steve? Yeah. And How about Steve? Steve. Yeah. Steve from the movie is great. But again, I don't know what Steve's last name. Weeby. Weeby. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. But he wasn't the but, guy who brought forward the evidence. It was somebody else. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I do wonder with this, uh, too, like had King of Kong not been a documentary and, you know, become a thing, does Billy just kind of ride off into the sunset as a guy in the 80s who was good and is still pretty good and is known locally as this, that, or the other, or goes to some retro game fairs. But he, he re-became a character, right? Like a, a mainstream video um, video game character and, and you do you have pride on the line i think there's kind of two ways you can handle losing a record and one is to kind of nod your hat at the future and be like well records are meant to be broken blah 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 or you can you know man up or whatever you want to say cowboy up or knuckle down and and go after it and try to keep it and preserve it and prove that you're the best forever and you know while there is some um, as you get older, maybe your Twitch response time isn't the same. It, you know, playing Donkey Kong isn't the same as running the hundred meter dash, where once you're 50, there's no way you're going to compete with a 19 year old or whatever it is. And, and Billy Mitchell was still able to compete in Donkey Kong. So he does what he can to get that record and it becomes a thing. And I don't know the full details of it, but I think part of the concern for the emulation, the way I read it 
is the way the level loads in is different. So you actually have a, an advantage, even if you are just playing a straight emulator version of the game. But then there are other concerns that if you are playing on an emulator, you know, what else is running on that emulator that you might not know about? Is there a bot running so that you jump over a barrel or this, that, or the other? So you're not actually playing the game and it's just running a script because then you've introduced this variable that allows for a multitude of other variables to to apply when you're not running it on the actual arcade cabinet circuitry that the game should be run on. And I mean, I have things that I'm very proud of, right, <laughs> that I, I have accomplished that I'm proud of and I'd like to keep. And if, if I, I, you know, I would cheat to keep it, but I like I understand. You, you cheated in creating your children. <laughs> I think you're most <laughs> proud of in this world. I heard right. that you cheated. I'm, but I, I understand. I empathize. Uh, and I also empathize if he did play clean emulators and, you know, you get you get over your head, right? Where all of a sudden you submit this score and it becomes a thing and then someone catches you in it. But what do you do? Because I, I agree with Andrea to some extent, too, where it's like he's very talented. He, in the 80s, had these records. There weren't emulators in the 80s when he was playing this game. He's a very talented player. So what do you do then, right? You you Alex Rodriguez or Lance Armstrong and you lie until you get caught or maybe you're able to prove your case. But um, I, I totally understand why he would do it and I understand why it's why it's big news. And I think to him... It, it, it could easily define his whole identity. You know, I think we all have things like that, that if they were taken away from us, we wouldn't know who we are anymore. And it might seem silly to outsiders. Like, why does that matter? But to us, it's a very important part of who we are. And I think Donkey like Kong in this. Media. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it's what Kristen is kind of, you know, saying here is that we as a culture right now are so quick to like mob lynch people over yeah. things that are, To me, I consider this to be something that's not worth getting so worked up over. And I think it's unfair to put him on trial before like all of the evidence has been presented. Now he's coming forward and saying, I'm going to, you know, make a counterclaim. But like the thing that's unfortunate for him is even if he doesn't end up being the villain he so, you know, fantastically portrays is that he, this is, this, um, allegation is going to follow him the rest of his life. And I don't obviously think he's going to get back into like the competitive Donkey Kong scene, but <laughs> he makes a lot of con appearances and does autograph signings and, and things like that. And that's going to probably affect his livelihood. Even if he comes forward and says, look at these, I wasn't cheating. Here's the evidence to show that I wasn't cheating. People have already made up in their minds that he's a cheater. Well, I mean, I, I certainly sympathize with the mob mentality, especially this week, but I, I will take issue with the fact that he, I mean, he broke the rules, right? If the rules are don't use an emulator and there's verifiable proof that he used an emulator based on these, you know, this rendering difference, whether he used it to his advantage or not, he did break the rules. So in that sense, he made his own bed, right? It's not that he was unaware that you weren't supposed to use an emulator, whether or not he used that. And that is the reason he was able to get this high score is another issue entirely. But I don't think he's like, you know, completely unfairly accused if if there is legit evidence that he used the emulator at all so anyway it's fascinating i I find it all very fascinating and and yeah it's a it's a silly thing to be so to have such a big what i I just don't think it's i don't think i think that's dismissive of it and i think a little bit and i don't want to spend time here because i want to talk about god of war uh i'm sure audience would like to listen to but i i think it's a little dismissive for us to say it's this little thing it's this silly thing when we are very much in the video game space, um, and it's. I think it's a big thing. It's very. No, it's right. important. Like the, 
what I think the first person caught uh, for cheating uh, for enhancing drugs at this past Winter Olympics was someone in curling. And it's like, what? Well, that's so silly. Why would you do that? Blah, blah, blah. It clearly matters to them and it matters right. to the, and it's important in the sport in which they engage. And I think to talk about video games as art and to be credible and to be blah, 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 blah. All this stuff is, it's real and it's legitimate. <laughs> You're right. And Weeby or whoever it is that's in second place, uh, it matters a heck of a lot to them. Like if they played by the rules, uh, it, it matters a heck of a lot to them because it's not like a, a thing that they just decided to do on a Saturday, right? They spent countless hours of their life trying to be the best in the world at Donkey Kong. And that matters a lot to them. So yeah, yeah you're right. All right, let's move on. We want to talk about God of War. Uh, I'm sorry to bury the lead here, guys, but uh, we got to talk about God of War. But first, I got to talk about simple contacts. Uh, I sadly, I got, uh, I got the LASIK uh, many years ago and it wore off. <laughs> so I'm back to wearing glasses and contacts. And I got to tell you, the, the process of getting contacts is just annoying. It, most of the time, it, it really is something that I don't want to spend my time doing, renewing my prescription, doing all that stuff. There's got to be a way to make it simple. Hey, there is, it's called simple contacts. Can simple contacts is the convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. It's all done through your phone. I've done this. It's super simple. It's really kind of slick. You use the Simple Contacts app. You take a five-minute vision test from your phone or on your computer. You can do it on your computer too. You don't have to do it on your phone. But it's easy. Uh, it, it, it checks out your, your prescription. And then that is reviewed by a licensed doctor. And you receive a renewed one-year prescription and reorder your contacts. Now, it's important to mention that this is not a full eye health exam, right? That's, there's no way for them to do that. And that is very important to do. You do need to have a periodic full eye health exam. But if you're just getting a, uh, a prescription renewed, it's so easy. You take five minutes, you get it done, and then they have – all of uh, the contact brands that you would want. It's so great. I ordered my contacts this way. It was so fast. It was so convenient. They showed up at my door within a few days. It was simple, simple contacts. Plus they have customer support that ensures every customer is 100% satisfied. You get text updates on your order and you can ask questions or reorder via text anytime. And the best part is it's very inexpensive compared to going in and getting a prescription eye test uh, renewal. This is like 20 bucks compared to an annual appointment, which without insurance could cost over $200. So 20 bucks, it's so simple. The prices on the contact lenses are unbeatable. Standard shipping is free. Best of all, because you listen to DLC, we're going to give you $30 off your contacts. Go to simplecontacts.com slash DLC. That's simplecontacts.com slash DLC. Or enter code DLC at checkout. And you'll get $30 off. Now, just a reminder, this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. But what a cool way. If you wear contacts, you got to check this out. Simplecontacts.com slash DLC or promo code DLC at checkout will give you 30 bucks off. God of War, the big reboot is is coming out. And I want to start off by saying, what if Zelda had a cinematic story? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, stand by, I stand by that tweet, by, by the way. Uh, great tweet, Jeff. It's thank great. You. Thank you. Um, I, don't, I, I, I can't imagine anybody. Discuss it like 
months from now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine anybody playing Zelda, any of the Zeldas, and then playing God of War and going, they're equally cinematic. <laughs> but, I mean, listen, even the old God of Wars were more cinematic than Zelda. I mean, that's just like, if you have eyes, you can see that. Zelda, Zelda is so a great game. Let's talk about what makes God of War great and not compare it to other games, please. Why? Why? Well, I, don't, I, I, I really want to go through the tweet, I, man. Unless you, unless you want to. It was a joke. It was a quick joke, but I don't think that comparing things to other things is, is – it's a very good way to talk about things because there's things sure. you okay. know and there's a thing you don't. So I compared it to the thing you know. And by the way, the way a lot of people felt – about most people I would even say, the way most people felt about Breath of the Wild last year – is the way I feel about God of War. It's the way I wanted to feel about Breath of the Wild. I'm not saying it's a worse game. I'm saying for me, it didn't, it didn't feel as transcendent and I, I recognized it as being a, a work of transcendence. But for me, it didn't, it didn't do what God of War has done. I am just overwhelmed by, by this God of War. But Andrea, I'll tee it up for no, you. Real quick. Sorry. Hold on real quick. I want to apologize for interrupting that conversation. I did not mean, I'm, go- I'm interrupting to say, I'm sorry for interrupting. I'm not <laughs> trying to stop or prevent any conversation you might have about this game or comparing it to other games. I am genuinely and sincerely sorry. Please compare it to any game you want. I mean that sincerely. Sorry again for interrupting. Every time you say I mean it sincerely, it makes me less think you mean it sincerely. I, I, I feel the same. I'm like, he's, <laughs> he's playing us right now. Um, so I want to remind everyone that, of course, we are not going to be talking about any spoilers. Oh, thank you. Yes. We're going to be talking about very, very few, if any, story details, because it's almost impossible to talk about anything story-related without spoiling it. Yes. We were uh, talking in broad terms. Uh, do not worry. worry about it. Yeah. Exactly, broad terms. And and uh, Andrea and I have finished uh, the game. We saw credits, uh, and and uh, Christian is has not, so we will not even spoil the game for him. So, go ahead. Right. So, um, I had tweeted that this was uh, a masterclass in game making, and really, like the word masterpiece just keeps coming to mind over and over again. And I don't use that word lightly. Anyone who watches any of the content that I do knows that I, I don't sing that kind of praise about games very often. We don't score games on what's good or, or kind of funny. We don't like put ratings on them. But if I was scoring games, I would probably give this game a perfect score, whatever that looks like, whether it's stars or a number or a letter grade, because it's the way that it's so handcrafted is almost like inconceivable. And the more I think about it, the more I find out just like kind of, how how perfect it is. And what I was talking about with uh, Jared Petty when I was hosting with him last week was how they've really taken all of the pain points of playing video games out, whether it be like a clunky fast travel system or NPCs that don't matter or stupid fetch quests. Like none of that like filler exists in this game. It's got so much balance that it almost puts like all the games before it to shame in the sense that like, why has no one else been making games like this the entire time? And that's why I thought it was really kind of poignant that the guys over at easy allies, I believe Huber wrote the review for them said that it's a step forward for the entire video game industry as far as game making goes. And I'm paraphrasing there. I don't know his exact pull quote, but it it really truly is. And I'm, I'm with you, Jeff. I can't say enough positive things about this game. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree that it is a step forward for gaming. And that's, that's the comparison to uh, breath of the wild that I was going for, where I feel like that in a very, very different way was a huge step forward for the industry as well. But this tonally, 
uh, yes, in how it's handcrafted, in how it manages to feel like an extremely focused, tight narrative experience, but also be gigantic and full of options and open and free all at the same time. It No one has ever done that before. And the fact that it, I mean, there are so many things. I want, Christian, I want to tee it up to you and, and we're going to, we're going to talk about this for a long time. So, you know, this game is very, very special. Yeah. I, uh, and I'm not sure about Andrea, but I know Jeff, between you or I, um, I have spent the most time with the, the franchise up to this game. I have played every single God of War, including the, I think it was a Nokia only side scroller platformer game that came out way back the when that was excellent, especially for what cell phone games were at the time. Um, played through many of them multiple times. I own all of them <laughs> pretty much on every iteration that's come out. I, I love this franchise. And what I think is so incredible, and I'm like seven, eight hours in, um, so maybe it goes real south after this. I have a feeling it doesn't. But what I think is so incredible about this game is the way that they are able, they made something at Sony Santa Monica that, you know, appeals to someone like you, Jeff, you love this game so much and you weren't a huge fan. I'm not, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but of the, of the games prior to this, you liked them, but they weren't like your favorite, you know, your favorite franchise of all time kind of thing, but also found a way to, at least for me, speaking for me personally, uh, connect with someone that loves this franchise and it doesn't feel like they threw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of rebooting or reimagining this franchise. They were able to do something that is fresh and exciting, but in in so many right ways um, pays homage to and builds or iterates off of and makes sense from what that game, what that franchise used to be. And I think it's, has to be so hard to do in the way that this game balanced it really well. And then the other big thing that I think is really incredible about this game, especially for me personally, is that they solved the thing that so many big games struggle with for me in terms of giving you a thing to do while also encouraging so many other things to happen. Um, and if you listen to this show, you know, I, I have issues with that in games in terms of here's, here's this thing this this big this big reason and then it's also like but also this game's huge and i always get lost in the narrative of that and i think god of war has a, a really good solve for that that keeps it rewarding and engaging throughout and it just it it, it blows me away my my only nit and this is my only nit so far in the game is that um i found the the camera to be a little cumbersome in a few close combat um, close quarters combat where I was, ex- I think it's mostly my expectations. I was expecting it to turn a little faster a la Arkham um, or even Bloodborne. And it, it just was a little slower than I wanted it to be. But I found I needed to rethink how I was approaching those. Um, I was texting you late last night. I, I needed to rethink how I was approaching those encounters based on my past baggage versus trying to put a different fighting mechanic into this game's experience, if that makes sense. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about each of the components that make up this game, because I think the thing that is so incredible about God of War, and I'll say right at the top here that if this isn't the best video game of all time, it's in the conversation. I think this is in the conversation of the greatest video games ever made. And the reason I think that is because when you break out each of the components, which I'd like to do uh, for discussion, I find even in isolation, each 
element of this game is at the very tip top of any other game you want to compare it to. It is in the conversation as the best, just that element of things, visuals, if not the most beautiful video game I've ever played, it's one of the two or three most beautiful video games I've ever played. It's stunning, stunning. Uh, the combat system I find to be so fun, skill-based, deep, interesting. Uh, you can make it into the thing you want it to be. It can be as shallow or as deep as you want it to be. Every fight is sweaty palms for me. It is every fight feels impactful and important and fun and can go either way at any time um, in, in the way that the best arcade action games are. Uh, there are even moments where you're mowing down dozens and dozens of enemies at once. And even those feel as OP as you feel, you still feel like you need to be paying attention and engaged and making the right choices in order to complete those areas. The the ability to throw your axe and recall it to yourself at any time, all the time. And the fact that when you have the axe out of your hand and are bare knuckling it, you are potent in a very different way. And that's a strategic decision that you might want to make to say, oh, I want to use my bare fists instead of my axe. Brilliant. Puzzles and the fact that the world has so much to be discovered and always rewards exploration is exquisite. The world building, the narrative, the as Andrea so I think astutely pointed out, this 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 very huge role-playing style game that understands you can have what five, six characters. And it still feels like a big, interesting, full world. But because each of the characters we know so much about and they feel like fully fleshed out, interesting characters like you would encounter in a television series. It's not – you're not just wandering into the next town and talking to NPC number 57. You actually get to know these people in this place. Okay. Andrea, your turn to gush. (laughs) I don't know um, about you guys, but I also have to – I forgot to do this at the top of the show – remind people that I received my copy of God of War as a courtesy from PlayStation. That's an FTC disclaimer that I – All three of us did. All three of us did, which Uh, which is why we can talk about it before it's out. (laughs) Right. Just a a reminder. I had to sneak that in there to to check check that box. Um, The thing that I keep going back to is how meaningful every choice has been in the – crafting of this game whether it be to look at the skill tree and how each of those tiers make sense in a specific way how the dialogue even between atreus and kratos while they're out in the world together like it makes sense it's not like meaningless banter right every little piece is some kind of a detail that contributes to the building of the overall world the um there's an NPC that will join you on your journey later on in the game who I will leave nameless, um, who contributes to the lore of the game in such a meaningful way that you can't, when you originally meet this person, you don't anticipate them being as important to the story as they end up being. And like every little piece of dialogue that they have makes the game more interesting. And I found myself wanting to wander around just to hear the banter 
between the characters, even yeah. though I didn't really have a reason. I would I would be rowing in my boat and I would just stop in the middle of the lake just so I could listen to what they were talking about. That's how well done not only the writing is in this game. And I don't, when I say writing, I don't just mean the overall narrative arc. The incredible detail in the the VO dialogue writing that happens in video games is something that often goes overlooked by most fans of games. It's so articulately done here, and the voice acting, every character is superb. We've all we've all played games where there's just like clearly like Joe Schmo does like voice number hundred, right? Like that's not the case in this game. Every voice is well done. Every voice has this distinct personality. I, I, it's just every part of the game so far. And the, the reason why so many p- members of the press who have played it have so much enthusiasm is because we so rarely get a video game experience that feels like it's been every part of it was touched with the equal amount of love. Cause we hear so often in, in, in the game making process that they run out of money, they run out of time. There's too much crunch. So something has to give, right? So some part of the game kind of gets brushed to the side and they're like, Oh, it's good enough. That part of the game's good enough. It doesn't feel like Sony Santa Monica had that attitude about any part of the game. And I have so much respect for that because it means they're taking me as a consumer as seriously as I should take their game. They're saying, hey, your dollars matter. The art that we're building matters. And we are going to promise you, the consumer of our art, that we're going to make it the best piece of art that we can. And I feel like they're setting this benchmark super high for everybody else to say, hey, if you're not competing on this level, then wh- what are you doing? And like, that's yeah. such like a such a bold statement to make. Yeah. Um, I'm really talking about it in broad brushstrokes here because it's hard to get into the into the specifics of it without you know spoiling too much. But man, is the Leviathan Axe something that is so incredibly fun to play with? Oh, yeah. small <clears throat> One second. One small detail that I want to bring up is that as you upgrade. You can upgrade Atreus's bow. You can upgrade the Leviathan axe. Is that on your? You carry it on your back. And you can see the visual upgrade with each step down the skill tree. And I love how it's just those small little details that you can see throughout the game world that really create this overall amazing um, piece of game making. It's so satisfying to see that in a in a third person game where the the character that you're playing is so big in the frame to see all those details as you said you see the the pommel of the axe get upgraded and have energy pulsing through it you see gems that have been inserted into it the the coolest detail that i i, I noticed is the very famous sort of onk uh god of war symbol is used as the little bracket that the the axe itself sits in it it holds it in a way that you would actually hold an axe in real life it doesn't just stick to his back like in a lot of games it literally rests inside a little clasp that's shaped like the god of war onk <laughs> icon and it it moves with physics and it sits there it's like every single thing as you said so beautifully andrea was touched with love and the the relationship between Kratos and Atreus, the father and son relationship, is so gorgeously illustrated. Uh, the their interactions, where it goes through the story, is so beautiful. It feels real. It doesn't feel like a video game. It 
and even better than all that, even better than all that, is the fact that Atreus is an awesome ally to have throughout the game. He's never somebody you need to worry about or feel like you're uh, on a uh, escort mission. He's he's actually somebody you can level up and you'll want to because he's awesome and provides really cool – like there's a button uh, that's dedicated just to him. And you will be using it a lot in combat because he is an asset, a huge help to you in, in d- dealing with these fights. And the things he does are super cool. The moments in this game are huge and and epic like you would expect from a God of War game, but done in 2018. Like everything, everything is amazing. The progression that they have with Atreus in combat is really visually noticeable too. Not only, as you said, is he an asset and you will be hitting that square button all the time. Don't forget to use it. He is so clutch, especially with aerial enemies, is that – you know, he starts out with only, you know, a small set of abilities. He's kind of not confident. And, you know, the banter between them in, while they're in combat evolves in this really meaningful way um, in the sense that, you know, Kratos, of course, is he's Kratos. You know, at the end of the day, he's still this really kind of angry, like reserved, not emotional guy. And, you know, we he he's not going to suddenly just like do a one eighty and and become like a guy that smiles and hugs and like everything's like sunshine and flowers, right? He's the god of war. Um, and I love how they were able though to take that character in just the really simple moments in di- in dialogue. For example, like if you're in combat and a tray you, you command a tray is to shoot someone, he would ask, you know, how did I do? You know, dad, did I do okay? And, yeah. you know, sometimes Kratos would be like, it was adequate, you know, <laughs> like, like one word or like your improvement. And then sometimes he'll say nice shot. And it's just like those like little moments that you're like, you can see the relationship between the father and son. And it has like that actual emotion behind it. And it's a small thing, but it's a, it's, it's a big small thing. And it's like those little touches everywhere that, um, that I really, I really just love about this game. Yeah, that's it's the Greek Omega, right? Is the the sign? Uh, what it is, yeah, um, yeah. And and also for fans of the franchise, as we're gushing about the relationship and this, that, and the other, please know that this game is visceral. It is powerful. It is brutal in all the ways that you expect from a God of War game. It's not as if they they took Kratos and they put him in a, a telltale game that's just conversation based. Like the conversation is amazing. The narrative. Uh, is great. The dialogue is great, but the combat is just, you know, Jeff talked about the sweaty palms in terms of it requiring some precision and, and focus as you're doing it, but it is just as brutal as you would expect from a, a God of War game running on today's technology. And, and some of those fights that you get in are, are jaw dropping in terms of what's happening on screen, what's happening just in the background, uh, as you're doing, dealing with something in the foreground, you know, you have something coming, uh, looming in the distance, the way God of War games have, have teased out so well occurs in this game, um, in terms of setting the stage and building the landscape around you. And then it, it's doing all of that. I am playing on a, uh, OG PlayStation 4. I, I mean, I can't, I, I literally can't believe it. It is literally unbelievable in how this game looks. I, I don't know why other video games 
can't, I expect all games to look this good now. Now that I know, cause you're like, oh, okay, well, it's PT. It looks amazing because you're in a hallway. So they can, they can do that because you're just in one hallway and here's a few scripted jump scares. It's like, oh, here's God of War and, uh, it's everything. <laughs> it, it's the grass. It's the tree. It's this tree that, by the way, is a totally different texture than this other tree. And then there's this tree and this tree actually has a flower growing out of it. And that's not part of that tree. That's moss. And you look over here and you can see because it's in the shadow, this is where this moss started to grow and it came up here and now it has this bloom coming up here. And if you trace this, you can see that these types of plants live in this type of environment that exists in this world because this is a real world that's built a certain way that has some overarching real world principles behind it in terms of where plants grow and how tall trees are and shrubs that are this way and paths that cut through this way and the way the water dribbles this way. And it is around every corner. I remember I texted you late last night, I think, or maybe it was two nights ago. And I was like, I can't believe how stunning this game is. And you said something like, just wait. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a sequence I don't even want to tell you about, but there are so many different looks also, and all of them have that same level of detail. I, I tweeted out uh, the, before the infamous tweet, I tweeted out, uh, this is the kind of game that you want to buy a new television for, you know, it's that, it's that good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more from a visual perspective. And obviously, you know, Sony Santa Monica has the benefit of being able to have access to the platform engineers and to be able to optimize their engine specifically for the PlayStation versus versus some third party developers. Not to say that they don't have access, but they wouldn't be able to work probably as closely. Um, but I do want to mention um, somebody in the chat asked a question. I think it was Cursor who had said, you know, does the previous God of War games had some pretty gross objectification of women? Does that occur? In this game, and no, not at all, much to my immense happiness. It was certainly something I was worried about and something I chatted with Corey Balrog. Excuse me, Barlog. <laughs> I <laughs> made a joke about calling him um, Balrog when I was interviewing him, actually. Um, but um, there's none of that. Like, none of that, like, kind of, like, gross, overt, chauvinistic, you know, hyper-masculinity um, that some of the previous God of War games... Uh, utilized that is not present in this game whatsoever and i was incredibly happy to find that having played through the entire game now that it doesn't make a, an appearance it's not some hidden trophy somewhere right uh, it's 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 not there at all so anyone who was a little hesitant about that who maybe you know had stayed away from the god of war franchise for that reason you don't need to worry that's that's not prevalent here and it's as much about that, and, and Christian is right into saying the game is brutal and violent and extreme, but it's also about brutality and violence and extremity. It's about rage and war. And it, it, it you know, part of the thing I was comparing it to Uncharted about is this thing we talk about a lot, at least on this show. Uh, I love the Uncharted franchise very, very much, but it's hard sometimes in those games where your main characters will get into peril and they'll be freaking out about one or the other of them dying. And you just got through murdering 400 people on the way there. It's like, I, it's a very difficult ludonarrative dissonance that is required in order to swallow the story and also do the video game part of the game. And that's something that if you buy into the story, you can't help but notice. And with this game, it's managed to, they have managed, Sony Santa Monica has managed to create a situation where 
it is gives you that visceral fun of smacking things with an axe and grabbing a werewolf by its mouth and ripping it open in a, much too far to, to expose brain matter. Uh, and also it sort of commenting on what that is and what kind of people can do that, will do that. Why should you do that? It, it's, it's a beautiful uh, tonal piece about video games, about violence, about those things, even as it indulges in the fun of playing a action game. Yeah. Um, 100% in terms of what it's able to do. And, and, and I think smartly. So while I'm super excited about Spider-Man and I love insomniac, I think one of the problems I had with sunset overdrive is that it would comment on things in games and then still make you do them. Uh, where it's like fetch quests are so annoying, but how else are you going to get those 10 pigs go on this fetch quest? And I was like, Oh, sunset overdrive in this game. It feels like it's not, you know, re- talking about, a feature that is bemoaned and then still having you do it. It's talking about it conceptually as this thing. And then your character, um, as it relates to them in the world in which they live. And it's, it's, it's very smartly handled. Another thing I wanted to bring up about God of war. uh, I'm going to use the word brave and hopefully not get lampooned the way Apple did when they talked about bravely removing um, the iPhone jack or whatever it was from the, the, the headphone jack from the iPhone. But I, I do think it is brave or shows a magnitude of trust in Sony Santa, Santa Monica and in Corey and the team there in that this is a God of War game. Because there's something to be said like, oh, of course, it's God of War. It's a big IP. It's going to get noticed because it's, it's attached to that franchise. But God of War Ascension came out and you know didn't get great reviews. It didn't sell like the other games in the franchise. And while this game smartly plays on the others and narratively makes sense within that world, um, I could foresee a time in which this game could have been a new IP, right? Like just this technology, this combat, this system, and no one would have said, oh, weird, they just made a God of War game and called it um, Big Brooding Dude or whatever, you know, whatever that game would be. But to to let um, Corey and the team at Sony Santa Monica take this franchise that is the face of PlayStation or had been for so long and, and rework it so fundamentally. You know, we talk about for so many video games that the sequel is more of the same. And it's like, well, of course it's, it, you're getting that because that's what that is. And I think what, what Sony allowed happen or Corey pitched or wherever this decision came from, the, the seismic shift in what God of War is and can be for me is now at the same magnitude for what Breath of the Wild did for the Zelda franchise, where I'm on record saying, I know what Breath of the Wild is going to be. It's going to be another Zelda game, big whoop. And then Nintendo was like, hold my beer. <laughs> we're, sh- we're shifting what that franchise is so fundamentally. And uh, to have Sony do that with God of War, I think is... It's it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And and I'm I agree with what Andrea said earlier that it it not only does that for the God of War franchise, it does that for the entire industry. I mean, it, it this is a game that forcibly pushes video games as a as a thing <laughs> forward. It is it is hard to accept games that don't meet this standard at this point. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about just what a month, not even uh, to playing Nino Kuni two, a game I enjoyed a lot, but the writing in that game is laughable in comparison, right? It is, it's very much a video game. It's the writing is stated outright. It's 
bland. There's no nuance. There's no character. It's, it's a cartoon. It's a, it's ridiculous. Right. And that's fine. I'm not dissing Nino Kuni too, but it's possible now. And it's not the first time, right? We saw last of us. We saw uncharted. A lot of the naughty dog stuff has, has touched at this and, and created narrative and writing that can be held up side by side with TV shows and movies and other mediums that, that we expect to have good narrative, but God of war shows that you can integrate it into the game in a way that those other games, I don't think were able to do as well. And I'm hoping that this is just the first in a series of steps in that direction for the entire industry. And we will see uh, this being the new watermark, right? This is the new bar. And uh, I, it makes me extremely excited for what video games can do. There was two things um, I wanted to touch on. First, um, I apologize. The name in the chat has now since um, refreshed, but somebody had asked about the music in the game. And wow, oh, wow, did Bear McCreary outdo himself. It is gorgeous and inspirational and it, like the moment that it kicks in in certain scenes will make you feel all of the feels. Uh, so don't worry about the music. You are going to absolutely adore it. The other thing I wanted to touch on was Christian, you talking about how this is such a, sh- a shift uh, for the franchise. And when I first went down to the studio to do my preview coverage, a lot of people were asking, you know, how are they going to handle this transition from Greek mythology to Norse mythology? And having seen the way that they've handled it, has been really interesting. Interesting because if you're like me, your only real experience with Norse mythology is the Marvel movies with Thor and Loki. And you're like, oh, I know all about Thor. I, <laughs> I just watched Thor Ragnarok because the word Ragnarok is thrown around quite a bit in this in this game. And um, I, I was like, I understand it, but boy, was I sorely mistaken because the Marvel movies version of Thor is not the same Thor that's in Norse mythology. So I would encourage people who are, you know, kind of like lore buffs or people who are really into the story details. If you read every piece of text that you come across in a world and really love the idea of world building, you might want to do just a little bit of brushing up on your basic Norse mythology. If you really want to follow how these characters interact with each other, but I think that they've approached it in such a interesting and authentic way. Clearly, the research the team did uh, shines through and made me go and read a bunch of articles after I finished the game to be like, I need to know more about this person. Who is this character? I want to know more about what this actually means. And I don't do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's, the game, I'm done. <laughs> it's 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 so I think beautifully integrated into the tapestry of the game as well. It's not like go to the codex and re- read all the codex. Uh, Atreus is literally taking notes in his journal the whole time. And it actually can help you. Like he, he, the more times you f- fight an enemy, he'll come up with uh, various uh, techniques that work against those enemies. And that is all I think uh, uh, built into the commentary. That's around the fact that Atreus is this smart, sensitive kid who can read and write languages that Kratos cannot and so Kratos relies on Atreus throughout the game to read things when he can't read them and decipher things that he wouldn't been able to decipher. And there's this beautiful thing of, of Kratos being this, this potent, brutal force and Atreus being this uh, scholarly, 
student and them needing each other. And, and all of that is, is so woven into the fact that, yeah, Atreus finds out all this cool stuff about Norse mythology that is fascinating and interesting and adds to the story. I mean, there's really no piece of this puzzle that is lacking. It is, it is, like I said, it's a true 10 out of 10 for me as well, even though I don't give scores for games either, but it's hard to see a flaw. I mean, there's, the text on the screen is a little small in 4K. It's like the be- the best criticism I can give to this game. <laughs> like it is, it is so beautifully designed inside and out. The progression we haven't even really talked about. The progression works in a way I've never seen a, a game work where your level is sort. Of, I mean, I guess it's sort of like an MMO in a, in a lot of ways. Your level is like the combined scores of all the gear you're wearing, and there's different stats that all have big impact on what you're doing. You may want to rune up certain things to impact certain stats if you want to play I'm in a certain way. I'm glad you brought up the, the progression system because it feels like everything has a purpose. You're not collecting meaningless crafting items. Certain gear has a one specific item that you have to get in order to craft it or upgrade it. You can only get it in specific areas. So it's not like you're having to do lots of grinding, which is something that as for fans of RPGs, we all know it's just like a fact of life and we just have to do it no matter how much we all kind of hate it. There's no grinding in this game. Like the There's like one section later in the game that you could probably grind if you really wanted to, but it doesn't contribute to the overall storyline. It's purely for the fun of it. And I like that it's not forced upon you, that like the RPG stuff that they added into this franchise feels meaningful and also very edited. It feels yeah. like it's succinct for lack of a better word. Yeah. And and you're not, you're not just getting experience and getting a new level and leveling up. You experience is a currency that you can spend how you want. Uh, and then you have another currency that also impacts the things that you can level up and craft. It's all so fun and so well integrated into the flow of the game. I mean, this game is exquisite. I, it, it, it towers above other single player experiences. I think it is the finest crafted single player experience I have, I have ever had. I mean, it is a truly monumental achievement. Anything else guys, any other, anything we've left off? I mean, I I'm very much no, looking forward. I, I have to wait. I will. I cannot wait to do a spoiler cast. Of yeah. I was just going to say that wait. same thing. <laughs> we may have to have you back for that. No, wait giving anything away we should probably stop now <laughs> yeah uh, i'm very excited for christian to finish it and then we can do a fun spoiler filled review but suffice it to say the moments the things you get to do in this game the places you go are utterly spectacular and epic um i mean it's start- oh one other thing i want to mention real quick i know i've talked about this a little bit before but it bears repeating is I do think the fact that it is one continuous, uninterrupted shot uh, it, it has huge impact on how the game feels. And I, I give so much credit to Corey and the team for pulling that off because he talked to me in, in our interview about how ridiculously hard it was and how everybody wanted to abandon that over and over and over again because it created countless problems for them. But the the fact that the camera in the game is treated like this real physical object that exists in the space it's not doesn't feel like a virtual camera when 
you know, when, when it has to move around, it feels like a cameraman is running and moving it around and positioning it. And it, it feels like you're seeing a film shot by a person holding an object. Uh, and that sense of realness and validity and grounded, you know, uh, uh, physicality of the world is huge and, and goes such a long way in selling that everything is really happening. Oh, you know, last ad. Uh, it. I think you might want to get a new TV or a PlayStation 4 Pro for this game, but please know you don't need to. <laughs> uh, I'm playing on oh, yeah, a 1080p yeah. screen on an original PlayStation 4, and it's phenomenal. Well, you know what you should have uh, if you're going to play this game? Because it is a long game. That's something we haven't talked about. Uh, it is a long, big, meaty experience with tons of stuff to do. And you may be tempted to just marathon this game if you do you're gonna want to have snacks and may i suggest our sponsor rx bar rx bar is a whole food protein bar what does that mean well it means that rx bar is made with 100 whole ingredients they're transparent they're upfront with their customers customers including yours truly i bought a box of rx bars after having tried one and because i honestly i'm a runner I'm a, I'm more than just being a runner. I'm somebody that wakes up and uh, continually has uh, not enough time to have breakfast before I have to leave the house. Uh, this is a chronic problem that I've had my whole life is uh, I do not budget enough time in the morning when I need to go somewhere to uh, eat breakfast. And even when I don't have to go, go somewhere, I tend to get involved in things. I'm like, oh, I should have had breakfast. That's why I tend to eat protein bars, but I very rarely, almost never found a protein bar that tasted any good. And mostly it's the texture. Oh, man, protein bar textures are like chalk or paste in my mouth. It's gross. RX bar finally is one that I love the flavor of and I love the texture of. It's got a good mouthfeel. That's what, uh, what I'm talking about. And these are – it's probably because they're made with whole ingredients and they label it right on the bar itself. Egg whites, dates, nuts, right on the front of the package. The ingredients that make up the texture and the taste are on the back. 100% real cacao, coconut, etc. Tons of flavors. My favorite flavor are the berry flavors, including the blueberry and mixed berry flavors. Ah, oh, I love that blueberry RX bar. Ooh, it's so good. But the chocolate ones are really good too. There's a peanut butter chocolate. There's a chocolate coconut that's really yummy. I dig these things. This is delicious, wholesome, good. You know what ingredients are written on there. There's no BS. It's right on the package. And there's 11 different flavors. Whether you want sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors is an RX bar for you. No added sugar, no artificial colors, artificial flavor preservatives or fillers. It's great. It's great. Even better, we're going to give you 25% off your first order when you visit rxbar.com slash DLC and use our promo code DLC at checkout. That's rxbar, rxbar.com slash DLC and use the promo code DLC at checkout. I highly recommend these guys. If you if you want a quick, easy breakfast on the go or just a snack anytime or you're marathoning through a video game and you don't want to pause to eat something greasy or gross, eat an RX bar. I really dig them. RxBar.com slash DLC and that promo code DLC for 25% off. All right, guys. 
uh, we went real long on God of War, but I do want uh, Christian to talk about a little bit of of uh, Radical Heights because uh, that is the other kind of interesting re- uh, release that came out this week. We talked a little bit about the release itself, but let's talk about the game. Christian, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I I really like it. I think it serves – it's an interesting game in what seems like a very crowded space. Um, to me – uh, what I think is so fascinating about it is kind of how it splits the difference between PUBG and um, Fortnite in the sense that it there's no base building. You're not constructing and, you know, building up cover and stairs or this, that, and the other to access new parts of the level the way you would in Fortnite. But the shooting the or the mobility, I should say, the bunny hopping and the dive rolling is much more in line with how you would move around the map in Fortnite than it is in PUBG. But the way that you are... Um, the types of guns you're using feel more realistic than a Fortnite gun and the kind of the armor, even though you do have a shield, it just feels more in line with the, the PUBG style of shooting. And I was talking to a, a friend who's, you know, Fortnite's everywhere, right? And they're like, yeah, I really like Fortnite until you're like one of the last 15 people. Then I hate the end game of every round, but the, because they typically become these build-a-thons, right? Where it's not necessarily the best um first person or third person shooter player it's the best builder and if you can build a tower and create this thing to flank someone then you'll get the win and not the person who is able to get the best shot from across the map or so so to speak and i think there's something really cool about that in fortnite that makes it very unique but if you are one of those people that doesn't like the build mechanic or you think that the end game kind of gets um, less fun in Fortnite. I really encourage you to check to check out Radical Heights because so much of the game feels similar to a Fortnite, but there's not that build-a-thon at the end. Instead, it all kind of converges. I like the way they changed th- their variation on the circle constricting and these zones. Different. It's all the map is built on a grid, and different areas of the grid go hot, and then sometimes they come back down, and you can access the area, and then. But it does eventually pull people into one part of the grid that then raises up playing on the game show theme of the game. You kind of become on this elevated pedestal as the final contestants battle it out on this small area of the map. But I think it's a really cool, interesting tweak to how they constrict players close together. I think it's really interesting to mix the more traditional air quote traditional or realistic i guess you should say it's, it's not it's still it's not arma but it feels more like realistic shooting um style of gunplay from something like PUBG with you know mobility that you would expect from cliff blazinski and, and that team in terms of a lot of jumping and rolling and uh and quick mobility around the map and i think it does something really cool there and then the other thing that i think is interesting that i know they retooled at least if you bought the founders pack originally you got a boost to cash and they got rid of that because people were concerned about a pay to win mechanic but in the game you're able while you're in a round you can go and get cash and while a lot of items, ammo, armor, and guns are littered across the world the way they are in most Battle Royale games, there are also vending machines in the world um, where you can get guns and ammo and, and armor and stuff like that. And then you you can get that with cash you collect in that round. You always start, every player starts every round with $0, but you're able to get cash and go to an ATM and you can put it in your offshore bank account. So it's possible, it's foreseeable that you could 
sit down and play this game. You could play the long game, right, of a battle royale, I think is interesting, where it's like, okay, I'm going to get in. I'm going to get as much cash as I can. I'm going to try to get to an ATM. I'm going to bank it. Because if you die, you keep some of your cash, but you lose some of it in this nice, very satisfying death pop when you get killed and, like, your gear and cash goes flying everywhere. Um, So there's an incentive to offshore your cash um, instead of just dying and losing a third of it or whatever it is. So you could go through the game and try to run and collect all the cash you can, offshore it, collect cash, offshore it, collect cash, offshore it, keep dying. You know, your goal isn't to win in those rounds. And then when you have a whole buttload of cash, be like, all right, this is the one where I'm going to be the best around, right? I'm going to be the last person standing. You take all that cash, you try to run out, you try to run over to an ATM to withdraw it. Then you try to get to a vending machine that has a, a, a rare epic level loot in it, get this awesome gun, get this awesome armor, and then go to town. The thing is, though, that still doesn't guarantee you're going to win because <laughs> you could still get picked off by somebody with a pistol who you didn't see, you know, behind a corner or someone could happen upon a great sniper rifle in the level. So there still is that variability, but the idea that you could play small rounds hoping for to put together this big round later is something really fascinating. And I hope as I continue to iterate something that they continue to build on because it doesn't take anything away from that round because I still get that kill and someone is still winning. It's not as if everybody would just like kill themselves and be like, oh, that game didn't matter. Um, it's just a different strategy that none of these battle royales have really done. And uh, I hope I hope they keep tinkering with it. And I hope they do more with the game show aesthetic, because I think that idea of, you know, loot wheels and it's kind of this dystopian hunger games, like people are watching you um, and they're going to prize drop in things and stuff like that is really interesting as well. I think there's a lot, a lot of promise in the game and hopefully they're able to keep keep working on it and tweaking it because I think there's room for that arcadey type shooter that doesn't require um, building the way Fortnite does. Very cool. Sounds like uh, you have a higher estimation of radical heights than I thought you might. Um, well, I mean, I can. T- I mean, it, the downsides are, are it's ex- as they call it, extreme early access. The the starter island, so to speak, map they load you in to before you start playing the game is, I think, does a, a, the game a big disservice. It looks bad. Uh, the BMX bikes are there, but it's in a small area, so they kind of control clumsily um the textures aren't there it's kind of this you're like oh this is a game this isn't great and and everything that happens that distracts you from the core gameplay loop um you know is a is a detriment and they need to they need to fix all that stuff but i'm trying to look at what the game does right and what hopefully they'll continue to build on and and make better but right now it it is rough you know i dropped into um an area of the map that was densely populated and it Battle Royale games have taught me that that's where good loot will be. And I was in these warehouses that were just placeholder graphics and I found literally nothing. And I was like, that's not, this sucks. Like that's not how this is supposed to happen. Um, And it was frustrating. And the the placeholder graphics are jarringly placeholder, right? Where you go through four buildings that all look the same and they're multi-level buildings. You get confused about where you are and the map has some issues in terms of where buildings are structured and choke points and this, that, and the other but um played early access games before or frequently uh define frequently probably not before yeah i mean i've been playing PUBG since way back when and um uh the hunt i played in its alpha i've played a number of early access games but i i guess not to the experience that you have based on what you're about to say <laughs> oh no no i was just I, I wasn't about to be like well this is the way early access games are <laughs> like they're not all created equal right i just um 
I also haven't played it yet, so I don't know to the extent like the placeholder assets are distracting from the environment. Um, I just didn't know if it was something that you just hadn't, you weren't used to coming across. Because I remember the first time I played a game that had like gray boxes in it, I was like, whoa, what's that? And then, you know, I had to have somebody like explain to me, oh, that's just like the unmodeled like placeholder graphic. And I was like, oh, so that's what that looks like before it has art on it? That's interesting. Yeah, Um, I mean, there's that. I think what makes it confusing in this game is that for me, at least, it's hard. I don't know where I am in a building because it all looks the same. So it's not like, oh, I'm on the third floor and you kind of, it prevents me from learning the map in a way that I'm able to in other battle royales and map knowledge is, is often key. And then you learn it fairly quickly. But the first time through, I would see a, an item to pick up and I had no idea what it was. So like I would see something across the map in the placeholder graphic for it. I was like, is that worth darting across the map to go get what literally what is that? It's like a red blob. Is that a gun? Is that armor? Is that, and you get it and it's like board game. And I'm like, what? That was a board game? Like, what What does that do? So it's it's things like that that pull you out of the strategy of the game that make the placeholder graphics difficult, I think. I'm the worst person to make this prediction because I was the guy who was saying, like, Fortnite is fine, but it's not going to dethrone PUBG. So I, I clearly don't know anything about what I'm about to say, but it feels like this genre has already got enough players in it. Right. It, it, it doesn't it feels like this. We don't need another battle royale free to play game. I, I just don't understand. I don't understand being a me too. I mean, I guess from what they said, they're making this game because they love it and they wanted to make it. But I would man, I just wish Cliff and his team who are so talented were trying to do something nobody's doing instead of something everybody seems to be doing. But Maybe I'll be proven wrong and this will be a huge hit. Well, I also think you could make a lot of money being third place, right? There's sure. a yeah. Camry, the Accord, Ford Fusion. Yeah, I was using cars, but yeah, Heroes of the Storm. You could be a great, successful game and not be the game. Yeah, 100%. 100%. All right, guys. Uh, we went very long on all our discussion, but I, I loved it. I'm so glad. It was, I, I you know, may have had weird feelings coming in, but I'm so glad it's, and that's one of the reasons I was so glad Andrea was here because it's fun talking with friends about things we love. And that's really what this is all about. So thank you guys for uh, such a wonderful evening and restoring my faith in humanity ever so slightly. <laughs> um, so that's going to be it. We do have our, uh, our parting gift coming up. So stick around for that. But Andrea, Renee, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad that we were all got to to chat. It's been a while since I've been on the show. Yeah, too long. And uh, we won't make that mistake again. But uh, tell people where they can keep up with your things all the time. You're everywhere. It's true. I do all the other things. Well, you can catch me on What's Good Games. We publish every Friday. And we also are active on social media channels. So podcast services, uh, it's just What's Good Games. Or you can watch the video at youtube.com slash what's good games. I also co-host a couple of times a week over at Kind of Funny Games Daily. You can watch that live at noon uh, Pacific time at twitch.tv slash kind of funny games. I'm on there usually Tuesdays and Fridays, but sometimes it changes. Following me on Twitter at Andrea Renee is the easiest way to find the direct links to wherever you want to watch uh, where I'm talking about video games. Very cool. And I highly recommend it. If you haven't checked out what's good or um, everything Andrea does, I I highly recommend it. Christian, uh, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, if you want a less frequent and potentially more cynical take on video games, you can follow me on Twitter where I compare like, is this your favorite game? It sucks. You're an idiot of the tweets that I put out. Um, (laughs) 
You know that's I not what I was doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's why I say mine are the more cynical. Yours okay. are the optimistic. Yes. Oh, good. Uh, but I am on Twitter at Spicer. I stream. You can see I did a character stream for the first time, which um, I am a comedian, but I am not a character actor or character performer. My stand-up is not in character. I found it pretty hard to commit to, I'll be honest. I did it for a little over an hour. I played uh, Radical Heights in a character that I kind of just conceived because it, it uh, riles up a coworker. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good reason to do things. <laughs> so I committed to that bit. You can find that on my Twitch, which is just twitch.tv Christian Spicer. And then Chris Quintos and I, we host a parenting podcast called Department of Parenting. It comes out on Wednesdays. You can find all of that at departmentofparenting.com. And then I do a extra solo geeky show called All Things Con- All Things Considered. <laughs> I do this. You may not have heard of it. It's uh, I do uh, I do car talk. On- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you've heard of it. It's called The Daily, and it's on, <laughs> uh, called at least twenty more minutes. And it comes out first on Tuesdays. Uh, you can find it at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer, and then it comes out everywhere uh, for free on Fridays on the Uninformed Opinions podcast feed and across the nation on your local NPR. <laughs> Christian, Christian does a little show called Prairie Home Companion. <laughs> I also tweet as real Donald Trump. You might know me. I'm your president. It's no big deal. Um, I have several other shows uh, for you to listen to, including the Slash Filmcast. And this week, man, I'm excited. It is that time. Once, e- once again, everyone, the 11th annual summer movie wager, where we try to guess the correct order of the top 10 box office movies of the summer. And the winner gets to uh, inflict a movie on everybody else that forced them to watch it and talk about it. Uh, and uh, you can play along. There's, it's so great. Check it out. Uh, slash filmcast.com. We have somebody building a website so that you can plug in your picks and play against us too. It's always really, really fun. Like I, we've been doing it over a decade and uh, it, it's it's a blast. So a uh, summer movie wager is, is what this next episode will be. The slash filmcast at slash filmcast.com. Also, have, uh, we have concerns. Uh, it's a b- big week on We Have Concerns because we had uh, guests. We had two guests for the first time. Uh, Ify Wadaway and Danny Fernandez uh, came in and talked about their new podcast, which is all about nerd stuff and deep diving on nerd stuff. Super fun. So I highly recommend you checking that out over at wehaveconcerns.com. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap things up. Let's uh, get into our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Andrea, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yes, I do. So the season two premiere of The Handmaid's Tale is right around the corner. Just in case you felt too good about the world. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it premieres on April 25th. And I want to say it took me a long time to muster up the gumption to actually watch this series because I'd heard nothing but positive things about how well done it was. But the subject matter is pretty, pretty deep. Heavy, tense, um, but I can't recommend it enough. After I did finally sit down and binge watch it, I did it in two separate sessions uh, because obviously like most of the stuff you watch on Netflix, it's so good that once you start watching it, you just keep watching it. Um, I do recommend it. It's some really fantastic, um, I, I want to call it filmmaking, but it's television making because uh, it's episodic. So it's it's really fantastic. It's good. You guys should check it out if you haven't yet. And that's on Hulu, right? Handmaid's Tale? Uh, yes, it is. 
It is a Hulu exclusive, I believe. Yeah. Christian, how about you? What do you got for your parting gift? Dun, 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 dun. It's baseball. I love I love baseball. This is early baseball, which is early and late baseball are the best times for baseball instead of those dog days of summer. This is where stats get made. This is where all the stuff they talk about for the rest of the season starts is because this, this first month, you get off to a hot start, get off to a slow start. It takes a while to correct itself, and you get to see people you know, figure out where they are after – time off and start this 162 game 68 62 game grind um and it's beautiful out in most parts of the country in the spring so if you can go catch a live game go catch a live game and root 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 for your home team or the astros if you know you don't live in houston but you still love the astros well, since you're talking about baseball, it's a good time to bring up that our friend Rich Grisham uh, supplied us with out-of-the-park baseball 19 codes. We didn't do quick questions this week, but keep sending them in um, because we have some more codes for out-of-the-park baseball 19. It's the game that was seen on the MLB network in 538, uh, with this combination of strategy and uh, sports gaming. Uh, very highly regarded uh, out-of-the-park baseball 19. We have codes to give away to people that send in quick questions to DLC Feedback at gmail.com do have a parting gift from a listener this comes from a different christian uh, a christian that sent this in Uh, he said i'd like to suggest the newest album by the finnish metal band nightwish the album is endless forms most beautiful and it is all science and evolution themed nightwish just performed in my city and i was so pleased that their set list included the last song on this album the greatest show on earth It's a 24-minute song that begins with the origin of the earth and ends with the destruction of mankind. I was in tears by the end of the song. Wow. Thank you for sending that in, Christian. If you'd like your uh, parting gift read on the show, you can send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Again, that's uh, Nightwish from – or the album Endless Forms Most Beautiful from Nightwish. My parting gift is uh, also another television show that I finally got around to watching the first season. I know the second season is maybe done. I think it might be done, but I only just watched the first season and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It is called The Good Place. And uh, boy, uh, it is a really fun season of television. It's all about somebody that uh, dies and goes to the good place when she was supposed to go to the bad place. And uh, all the wackiness ensues. The season actually has a really interesting arc and some interesting surprises at the end of it. It's pretty cool. Um, Dare I say so it's Ted Danson at his best. Well, that's hard to say. There's so many good Ted He's Danson's. incredible in everything, but he and uh, yeah. Bella are phenomenal in it. Yeah, it's a really fun show. It's a really fun show. I also wanted to take a second and thank everybody. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but everybody that sent nice things to me on Twitter and by email uh, and on our uh, subreddit. Uh, it all was very much appreciated. And uh, I, I am sad to say that I needed it, but uh, it, it, I think I did. So I appreciate you guys taking the time and expressing positive feelings to me over the uh, social medias. All right, guys, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Andrea, Renee, and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me talking God of War and more. And thank you to all of you in the chat room. Really appreciate you uh, making the show better in real time over there at caffeine.tv slash Jeff Kanata. Uh, and usually at uh, twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer, although not this week because Christian is uh, is traveling. And uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for the cool bumpers. We will see you next week. Until then, and especially now, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.